You're listening to the new media. You're listening to Mitchell Talks. Learn more at MitchellTalks.com and follow me, Scott Mitchell, on Twitter at Mitchell Talks. Justin Wood is Principal Chief of the Sac and Fox Nation and a former state legislator. On February 3rd, the Tulsa World published an op-ed by Chief Wood in which he strongly criticized Governor Stitt for the stance the governor has taken regarding the gaming compacts dispute. Chief Wood said, quote, Stitt's rhetoric seems intentionally divisive and destructive, a misguided and ill-conceived negotiation tactic, unquote. The criticism was strong, so I asked him about his op-ed, and here is that conversation recorded Wednesday the 12th of February. It's Mitchell Talks The Gaming Compact on the Mitchell Talks Network. Support for this podcast is provided by Aerosurf Communications. With a wireless network of over 100 local broadcast sites, Aerosurf has provided central Oklahomans with reliable broadband internet since 2003. Learn more at aerosurf.com. That's A-I-R-O-S-U-R-F dot com. Let's start with how you became chief. Can you right. tell me that story? Sure. So I'm sitting at home, and I get a text message from the sitting chief. and She uh, is considering not running again. She says, we really need someone with some with some knowledge and some background and, and, and politics to, to run for this seat. And I thought about it for a little bit. And I've been telling people no for about six months. People reaching out to me, asking me to run. And so I, I said, okay, I'll get, I'll get some people together and talk about it. So we got to that point and, and we were, uh, we were going to run and I get a text message from her about two days before filing. So this is in late March and she, uh, she's going to run. She's telling me all the reasons why I shouldn't run. So, I, uh, you know, you're too white was a lot of, was one of the reasons. And, uh, you don't have enough name ID was one of the other reasons. And so I, uh, I told her, I said, you know what? All right. Well, well, we'll see. We'll just see. And so the next day I drive out to Stroud and the day of filing and I, they're in the middle of a business committee meeting and I, I walk in and I talk to her and I said, I'm going to run for this seat. I'm going to win this seat. And I, I respect you. I appreciate you. I said, but our, our tribe needs, needs help. And we need to start moving forward. And you've been chief twice now. And we haven't moved forward. I said, I tell you, if you win this thing, I'll do all I can to help you. And if I win it, I expect you to help me. So um, fast forward about uh, two months. That's all it was. Two months I filed on that on that day, the last day of filing. Four people ran. June 1st, I, I come out number one out of a four-way primary, and I don't need a runoff. So um, I'm chief, and I take office uh, about 15 days later, 20 days later, somewhere in there. We have one of our, in our constitution, it says that you take office um, 10 days after after your vote's been certified. So I think it was right at 20 days later. And uh, and they'd never had someone went out right in a primary before. So I took office three months before anyone else. So I'll serve four years and three months in my first term because I took office three months before she was supposed to term, before her term would have ended. She was fine with it. She was ready to leave. And so... And since then, it's been it's been great. We have a great team. Uh, it's a five member business committee, but no, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, I've ran the first modern race of any of any campaign we've had. I did direct mail. I did phone calls. I did door knocking. I did the way same way I did my house race, just like the old days. Just like the old days. So your nation, Second mm-hmm. Fox Nation, is world renowned. Absolutely. Now you're not as big as. 
no. Cherokees, Chickasaws, Choctaw Nation. Right. But, I mean, speaking of name ID, right. and, and primarily because of Jim Thorpe, right? Right, Jim Thorpe and Blackhawk are the, what we're really known for. Absolutely. So you had mentioned to the previous chief, we weren't making progress. What are you wanting to do? Oh, we need to diversify our economy. And we're getting there already. So within, so my first seven months, we bought our first business outside of gaming and tobacco that we've ever done before. So it's a Shawnee Trophy, and it's a it's a it does very well. They it's a it's a couple that's owned it. It was owned by the father of this of the gentleman that owned, that owned it before we purchased it. He took it over, he and his wife, and so for fifty seven years it's been owned by one family, and they've done a great job. But really. They were just operating off name ID. They never put any real effort into growing it, and it grew on its own. And so, we took over a company in a great position, a great place. And we've uh, we've already, I mean, we started January one. We had to rewrite code within our constitution to be able to do it. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was created in order for tribes to be able to diversify their economies, and we just chose not to. And it was because it's easier not to, and that's why the majority of your tribes in Oklahoma haven't done it. And the ones that have, you know who they are. I mean, you, you know who those tribes are. And some of the smaller ones have done really well. But for a tribe like when we led the way on um, when we beat Oklahoma in the Supreme Court, uh, when it came to the uh, car tags, I mean, we were getting pulled over by troopers. I say we, I was a, I was a baby. But getting pulled over for, by troopers because we were already printing our own tags. We had our own um, car tags prior to winning that Supreme Court case. So May 17th of every year, we celebrate Victory Day for that day that we defeated the Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma in the Supreme Court. We've always led the way, um, and uh, we have an eighth blood quantum, so that's why our tribe is small. Tell us what that means. So uh, blood quantum is originally the way the federal government planned on controlling tribes. They were supposed to die out eventually. So only four, only five tribes originally had no blood quantum, which would be you know the five tribes. And the rest of us all had blood quantum. So we were a quarter until I was in middle school. So I was. You're telling me that was a some racial engineering. I, I think. So, I think so. I think most people, tribes to die. Most people would agree with me. I mean, there are tribes right now. I mean, we started off in Oklahoma when we finally made it here. So we started off Chicago to Iowa, Tam Iowa to Kansas, Missouri to to where we are in Stroud. That's our headquarters now. We stretch from uh, between the North Canadian river and the Cimarron river from Shawnee to Cushing. And we, uh, we started off with 200 people. That's all we had surviving out of that, out of that trip that we took, um, and, uh, being relocated here and we're up to 4,000. But when, before we lowered our blood quantum from a quarter to an eighth, we were down to 800 again. So we, uh, we were about 4,100 currently tribal members. And when I did my mail, when I was running for office, I mailed it to every every continent but Antarctica, um, every state, United States. That's amazing. So the majority of us are in Oklahoma, and so we, uh, and and Shawnee and and uh, Cushing being the largest portions. Uh, but, but there's there's a, there's a group of us in Stroud as well. But Shawnee, uh, there's about two thousand of us in Shawnee. So it's uh, but. Um, we have a great location right off the turnpike in between right in the middle of, of uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa. So, and we own that old Tanger Mall property. The, the majority of that property we own about 18 and a half acres. And we've just never done anything with it. So we've got some plans in place to work with that and, and other lands. We have about 1,000 unused acres and about 800 of it, I would say, are in great location. Do you have any idea why the 
The outlet mall was not rebuilt. It seemed like it was busy all the time. Right. So we uh, we didn't purchase it until 2007. That was the that was the 99 tornado, wasn't it? That that wiped it out. So again, that's back when I was in elementary school. But we, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, we didn't even purchase it. I think it was I think the city owned it. The Stroud City of Stroud owned it at the time we purchased it. If I remember correctly, and we had plans of grandeur, but we just quit, couldn't ever quite do anything, uh, make any moves on it. Some ideas were shot down, and and uh, but I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you why they haven't done it. I mean, I know we've talked about doing something like that there again because it was doing well from all accounts. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, from all accounts, it was doing really well. We uh, we just for whatever reason, uh, Stroud, you know, Stroud itself hasn't really tried to grow very much since then. It, that was a big, that was a a big uh, opportunity for them to rebuild even larger than before after that happened. And for whatever reason, and maybe it wasn't doing as well as it was looked from the outside looking in. But we, uh, but we'll do our we're doing feasibilities on it right now, and we'll do the right thing with it. Uh, we'll probably have some sort of gaming involved. But uh, in fact, the the trust application that we turned in that's going through the process right now is a gaming trust application. So so that we can. If we wanted to go forward with gaming, we could. But we've got plot spots like that everywhere that we should have done something with decades ago, and we just we just didn't. So, be a great place to put a barbecue joint. A barbecue joint, yeah. yeah. So, let me t- take you back to something you were talking of earlier, which is the the gaming act. And you were saying most tribes have not taken advantage of it. So, can I just start from somebody who doesn't know? Sure. Come here from Sikkim on this. On a scale of ten, would be that. Oklahoma tribes completely have have effectively utilized that particular compact. One being not enough has been done. Where would you say collectively the tribes are on that scale in terms of taking advantage of the benefits of that compact? So 30, 35 tribes chose to go into some form of gaming. And uh, 35, 35 have a class three compact that auto renewed on january 1st and uh, the uh 33 of them actually have class 3 gaming within their casinos uh, us being one of those tribes that does that really well we uh i would say overall tribes that chose to do gaming and and then chose to take those gaming dollars and grow and move into other enterprises diversify that's my like my, what you did with that sh- that company in right Shawnee. sure not enough half. I would say a scale of one to ten, six. I would say you okay. know six out of ten as far as doing just it really barely well. passing grade. I think so. Now, obviously, some tribes have just blown it away, They're killing it. Yeah. Defense contracts, uh, um, chocolate. I mean, it's all the entire spectrum. They've done it, and for whatever reason, some of us haven't. And if we're being honest with ourselves, if Indian people are being honest with ourselves and and really evaluate, that's the reason why there's so much turnover in leadership. I mean, they're, the tribes have done it well. They have a, uh, a leadership structure, and they have a, a continuity in leadership. And they're just not—they're uh, not giving up on opportunity, and they're sticking with it. And and there's something to be said about uh, sticking with leadership that's doing things right. And maybe gaming's down one year, and what's a lot of tribes justified changing leadership based on how well gaming did the year the two years before the four years before however long those terms are i think that's a really bad way to judge leadership 
but I can't. I do think that if you give someone four years in office and there's and there's no movement in your economy, just like I would with my governor or with my president, and I can look at it and I'm looking at it with some intelligence and some and some intellect, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, with what they had, they should have done more, and they're the reason why it hasn't done better. Then you get rid of them. But so often in Indian country, we we toss a leader out every four years, and we, we're guilty of that as well. We have very few chiefs who were elected to back-to-back terms after we went to from two- to four-year terms. Why is that? Just, I mean, failure to move. I mean, I think that if I had, I would have been disappointed with myself as a leader had we not purchased a business in my first year. And there's a lot of work put into that first business. And I would be hard-pressed to say that my predecessors didn't try. I think she did try. But – you can't just come in and say, we're going to do this. You have to be able to lead. You have to be able to persuade. You have to be able to create relationships and keep relationships. And you can't do those things. It doesn't matter what great opportunities fall in your lap. When you have a structure like we do, when we have a five-member business committee and three votes rule, I mean, it's there's a lot of things I can do, but one thing I can't do is go out and purchase business by myself. i got to have two other people that want to move along with it. And my goal is to always have five people that are on board. And if, if five of us aren't on board, there's a reason. So you want unanimous. You don't want almost every time. Okay. And I and I think that for me personally, if we're not able to get five people on board saying this is a good idea, maybe one of them has concerns, but five people on board, five people informed about what's going on, we we should be able to do that every time. I want to bring that kind of product forward every single time. So I want to use the Chief Wood scale of sixty percent. Sure. To maximize the economic vitality of all of the tribes is something that's going on right now in the way of getting that done, namely the situation between the tribes and the chief executive. I I would say this is the first time in my lifetime, my father's lifetime, maybe my great-grandmother, that every single tribal leader At least to 30, 35 tribal leaders have been in the same room at the same time, multiple times, and we'll do it again next week. You're saying it's the most united the tribes have most, been. Most, now, when you say united for Oklahoma, we are. I mean, 100%. I have, I've never seen that many people in a room together be on the same page, be able to work through problems. I mean, didn't happen in the Republican caucus when I was there. I mean, everyone leaves without grumbling. Like it's it's pretty incredible, and this is your your Cherokee Nation all the way to uh, the Sac and Fox Nation, and people smaller tribes. I mean, everyone in between in the room at the same time having a conversation, and we're all equals because we're sovereign to sovereign, regardless of size. And it's when we look at each other and we treat each other that way, and that's the that's the way it's been from the beginning. No one has looked down because of size or economic prosperity. Um, how dark your skin is none of that has happened it's it's been it's been pretty incredible i've the the silver lining is i've told a lot of people this situation is i've been able to sit in the room with governor anatubby 10 times in the last seven months that's incredible to be able to learn from someone like that and watch the way they lead silver lining so let's go back to first base tell us what 
some unreported aspects of this are that people who are trying to, who consume news and are watching this now there's competing ads running on television right help us understand what we, the fundamentals the fundamental things we need to know to be able to weigh in on this in an educated sort of way right and i think that's educated is important because i think there's a lot of ignorance in this situation and and ignorance is not a bad word uh, i think we can all we're all ignorant in some form or fashion about something but it's, if you're going to weigh in on a situation, it's important to be informed and, and not ignorant. So we, uh, one thing I think needs to be talked about more is the fact that this is not really a gaming issue. Now, it is on the face of it. It's about this game, Class 3 Gaming Compact. Can I stop you for just a moment? Class 3? I walk into a casino. What's the difference between a Class 3 game and a Class 2 game? So your Class 2 game are your classic bingo games. So no skills needed. Class 3 is a skill game. You have to have some sort of skill involved with winning that game. So maybe that's making a decision here or there to change the outcome. So that that's your major difference. And then you have your table games and things like that. But we uh, the, the Class 2 gaming is any bingo game, which is just chance. Now, I mean, there's argument about... I mean, I've never, I've never gambled before. That's, I've learned more about gaming in the last seven months than I ever anticipated my entire life learning. The, uh, I've never, in fact, I hadn't even walked into one of our casinos until I was elected. So we, uh, um, I think that's important to note that there is a difference in, in the different games that are there. And this argument is just about class three gaming itself and the compact that's been signed by 35 tribes. Only 33 of those tribes actually have casinos. Two tribes that sign that extension don't even have class three casinos. So it doesn't really make sense why they'd sign that extension unless there's something else going on there. But we, uh, that's, that's the story there. Now, uh, what this really is about is about, it's about sovereignty. And, and the governor himself has brought this up in his state of the state, talking about state sovereignty. And so if you want to compare the state of Oklahoma's sovereignty to the Sac and Fox Nation sovereignty, it's exactly the same. We have sovereignty in our ability to govern our people. We have sovereignty in taxing within our jurisdiction. If we want to. Now we're also going to pay state tax. But if you come to one of our places, you're going to pay our tax. That if it's on trust land. So that's when it comes. But however, neither one of us are financially sovereign. We both depend on the federal government to get by. The state of Oklahoma could not operate without federal dollars. It's what a $23 billion budget. And sometimes you get $8 billion from the state. It's not reported a lot. Right. So the state of Oklahoma is not financially sovereign it is sovereign when it comes to the ability to rule and govern its people while also following federal law and that's that's where we are too and i think we have our own courts just like the state of oklahoma has its own courts so we uh, this is what this is about is the state of oklahoma wants the ability to oversee they want it wants oversight at least one of their elected officials wants oversight over gaming indian gaming Indian gaming doesn't reside in state law. It's in federal law. And I think that's where some ignorance plays in. It was created in federal law. And that's where the authority lies. And that's where the authority will continue to lie. You saw what, so we didn't, we didn't participate in the lawsuit. So I can talk about what I see from the outside. And I've got no inside information. I, I, all I know, I learned from the Tulsa world too. And so 
we uh it's probably the way they've been killing it with their coverage it's amazing yeah it's amazing i think a lot of it has to do with the with the access they have to this governor and the way he chose to announce he was going to try to renegotiate these compacts or that he was going to renegotiate these compacts so it's also world has been a, a bit of a vessel for things going through the governor's op-ed which started it right we're going to get to your op-ed sure. here in a little yeah. bit but they really have been leading the and they've been incredible i think that uh, they've done a great job of covering it um fairly i think they give the governor plenty of um of uh of coverage they give the tribes coverage from our side and from his side I think it's been fair. I think Barbara's been doing an amazing job on it. It's I really appreciated her when I was in the legislature, and she's doing an amazing job covering it right now, as well as other other um, journalists as well. But her especially, we uh, yeah, we it's a, they've done a great job. Now, when it comes back to what actually happens, so the lawsuit itself is being sent to mediation. Tell us how that is. A lot of the people I'm talking to are going, wait a minute, I thought that the feds were asked to make a ruling. Right. And then we see one morning the headlines, it's gone to mediation. I have not heard why. So I can't tell you for sure because I did not, like I said, we're not participating in the lawsuit itself. We support it. We're not participating in it. But all I can tell you is this is this is what we want. We wanted this to go to mediation. We wanted the court to send it to mediation. If they weren't going to rule on the language itself, we wanted to go to mediation. So mediation is not a bad thing. What it's going to do is going to force the governor to actually make an offer. When since the governor has not made an offer yet. By IGRA law, the governor has to make an offer before trying to raise any rates on Class 3 gaming. No offer has been made, period. I can tell you that. I would let you look through my emails. No hard, hard copies have come through the mail. No offer has been made to us. When I talked to him on the phone, no offer was made on the phone. Um, this gives the governor an opportunity to make an offer in order to raise or raise the uh, exclusivity fees. This is not about the fees for the governor. It's about the length of that compact. He doesn't like the length of that compact. I think he's made that very obvious. He doesn't like that the state has no oversight within that compact. Um, but there's a reason. Like I've already stated it. The state has no no sovereign right to oversee our class three gaming. The only, the only authority the state receives is authorizing it to happen period. And those are through compacts. That's it. That's the only authority the state has after that authority ends. So we, can I I ask you a real quick question? Please don't lose your train of thought. What is it that you think specifically that has this governor ruffled more than let's say governor Keating or Governor Henry, or Governor Fallon, Democrat and Republicans, who didn't want to do it this way. Anything in particular that seems to be, because it does seem to be that's beyond just business. It, as an outsider, it looks like it might be just a touch personal. Just, and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying it looks like it's a lot deeper passions than just a business deal. And I don't. I, I can't claim to have any inside knowledge on 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 what's going on inside his head. Um, what I do know is that any time I've interacted with Governor Stitt on a one on one level, which has only been a few times, I feel like he's a genuine person. Uh, I, I believe he's a Christian because he says he's a Christian, and, and I am too. And so I laugh about it. People know how I feel. He knows how I feel about this situation. I feel like this is an attack on tribal sovereignty from a tribal citizen, and that's that's sad. Um, but 
we uh but I, when I pray for the man um I do ask that it I do when I pray for him and and I think about it, and he's on we have a prayer board at the house and and so we we pray for our our state leaders our federal leaders and we uh I just I just hope that this isn't a personal thing I hope all this is about is about the length of the compact and that's what's got him ruffled and it's this is the really the only thing that he's had a lot of trouble with I mean I spent the first nine months of him being governor trying to talk Indian people into liking this guy because I thought he was making he was making the governor of the state of Oklahoma influential finally and I think the governor of Oklahoma went from being one of the weakest governors in the country to one of the strongest just in his first year in office he obviously did something right negotiating with it got a little hard rough down the stretch but negotiating with legislative leaders on getting this done and and, and any governor if it was Keating or Henry or Fallon, if they were governor right now, if it was Edmondson or Lamb or Cornette, they would have wanted to renegotiate as well. But I think each one of them would have said, this compact auto renews, and we're going to re- we're going to offer something and try to negotiate. Now, their best offer was off the table because of ball and dice going off the table in 16 or 17, 16, I can't remember, 17. It would have been 17 when it went off the table. And so once that was gone, the only thing left really is sports betting. And, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal to some tribes. But tell our listeners what ball and dice is and what that was about. So ball and dice is just another form of table games. Okay. I mean, we uh, it's something that the city of Oklahoma didn't allow at 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 that point in time. Prior. And there would have been more money if it had been allowed, correct? Right. Not only that, though, if it would have been allowed if, if they would have waited. The state of Oklahoma would have been patient. At the time, though, they had a, they had a capital full of teachers, a lot of teachers, and they were trying to get him out of the Capitol building. And so my, my good friend, Senator Fermeda, he uh, ran this legislation and, and passed it through and good good for them. It, it was a good it's good for it was good for gaming in the state. It was good for Oklahoma for teachers and for education. But if they would have waited a couple of years until now, they would have gotten a better deal out of it. I mean, they would have included it in the compact and it would have it would have definitely been a, a better win for the state of Oklahoma. Um, but they they couldn't they couldn't wait the situation the political um, winds weren't allowing it at the time and I understand I, I mean I was there lobbying at the time for uh, American Cancer Society and we uh, uh, obviously uh, trying to get the teachers out of there as well I mean we wanted our cigarette tax to pass and and uh, that was part of that whole week in which they passed all that stuff and they passed that actually before that strike happened and then then of course ball and dice happened the week later but so yeah, no, we uh, that was the big thing. Now that that's off the table, it's really just sports betting. And for us, a tribe our size with two casinos that aren't relatively large casinos, but sports betting doesn't make a lot of sense for us. It's a big investment with not a huge return. Now there is a return. What do you got to invest in on sports betting? Uh, infrastructure, um, bandwidth, um, like sitting at a, a casino in Vegas and watching the- right. It, laying a bet on tennis or except for in or, Oklahoma because of having to operate within trust lands and it it it, it definitely uh, if you were going to bet sports betting outside of that casino you'd have to be within that jurisdiction it's a lot of a lot of tech a lot of moving parts okay. a lot of things I mean it's to me I think the investment might be worth it especially for someone I mean the Chickasaw Nation or the Cherokee Nation I'm sure at some point wouldn't would like to do sports betting i don't know if that's something they'd move on 
if the governor wanted to or not. But would that affect, would that affect horse racing in Oklahoma sports betting game? Sure. I mean, I think that, and not in a good way. Oh, I mean, I guess if you're trying to decide where someone's going to spend their money, would they rather spend it betting on a horse or betting on a a ball game? I think I think there's two different people anyway. Right. And sometimes the same person's doing both, regardless. They're flying to Vegas anyway to do it. My recollection was that in the early 2000s, the compact, some of the agreements came about because the horse racing industry in Oklahoma was was dying. And this is one of the reasons why the quarters of thoroughbreds in Remington Park and some of the other parks are here. Without the compact, the bloodlines are gone. Horse racing, the horse industry in Oklahoma, dead. Very well. It's my recollection, correct? And well-documented. Well documented, yeah, absolutely. The this a lot of this was passed to save the horse industry, but really, what put this into? I mean, I don't know if your listeners, our listeners, remember this, but when the lottery passed, it's really what started moving the needle on this, because once that passed, they had to they had to at least attempt to allow gaming in the state of Oklahoma. Um, that that was part of IGRA, and uh, so that was a big part of it as well. And of course, all of this goes back to education. What's IGRA, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Sorry, yeah, that going back to the. Uh, it's a long-standing the ac- the uh, deal about acronyms, that, right? Because I don't understand. <laughs> why. Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, and it like resides within federal law, which I think is important to remember. And I'm sure that you know any attorney that's part of this lawsuit and mediation is probably going to refer to IGRA quite a bit. I mean, you know, uh, so uh, it's not any secret that. I've had friends in the thoroughbreds and the quarter horse race here for two decades, right? Not a year ago, I went to, uh, she's now gone to her eternal reward, Debbie Schaff, who's the longtime executive director of the Oklahoma Quarter Horse Racing Association, and sat down with her one day, and we fought some battles together, won them all, by the way. And I said, when does the compact renew? And she says, son, it... it auto renews and she went through the steps on it this was before the op-ed in the tulsa world so as i the way i read between the lines and i've had no insight on this was that is the magic words the governor would like for the tribes to say uh, it doesn't auto renew the tribes contend that it does renew tell us why that's the tip of the sword in terms of this particular this contentious issue you have to have a compact to negotiate you have to. I mean, if the if the governor wanted us to come to the table in January and he didn't believe there was a compact, it wouldn't make any sense for us to come to the table, period. There was that 180-day window in which he should have sent a, uh, a, a term sheet in which he offered something to raise our rates, if that's what it was about. And that's originally what he told the Oklahoma people it was about. It was about getting more money into education. We weren't paying enough, so we need more money, and they should be paying more. Well, it's shifted. It shifted to where it's about linked to the compact, which I think most people understood. It wasn't just about the rates. It was about this 15-year in perpetuity is what he keeps saying now. No contract lasts in perpetuity. This one does. It just does. Um, As I recall, that's when I see Stephen Greetham on TV, right. he'll say, well, we're, we've always been interested. We'll sit down and talk to you about rates but not without the compact. So if, let me just give a supposed, if there were no compact, if the tribes admitted the contract had not renewed, then the 
executives in Oklahoma, the chief executive could sit down with Steve Wynn yeah. and negotiate something in Oklahoma. Or am I completely off base? If there? he if he did that, then he would never receive another dime from the tribes. Because without with another, if you were to, if this compact expired, if this compact expired and you were to bring in a uh, outside group and allow, and allow them, which would have to be passed by the state legislature, by the way. Again, nothing he can do by himself yet. Um, then the tribes could operate gaming without any sort of compact. It wouldn't matter anymore. The state would just get nothing. Get nothing at all, period. Okay. Well, Steve Wynn could come in and the legislature could recognize him, but still, that river wind's not going away. No. It just wouldn't be sharing the profits with the state right. of Oklahoma. Right. And okay. now, granted, tribes probably give more to their communities and their schools outside of this compact than they do within it. In fact, I know they do. So, I mean, in the last in the last three years, I know we've the tribe our size has done over a million dollars within our communities from uh, to our schools and to our local communities. And I mean, Chickasaw Nation does that three times before lunch every day see i'm not sure that people are getting from the ad campaign that that's i think a lot of people are thinking that's money from the from just the compact agreement you're saying this is a lot of the stuff they're talking about is on top it has nothing to do right this is more along the lines of just this sort of citizens we are absolutely now this is what because we believe in these communities and we're not going anywhere i mean it's it's in the best interest of the second fox nation for shawnee stroud and cushing and Prague and meeker and all those Yale, all those small communities. Give in me an example of what Second Fox do for their communities. Sure, so they're in not just your members, but oh, just goodness the communities. So I mean, we do we have a food distribution food distribution program that we operate with gaming dollars as well as a USDA grant, and we serve five tribal jurisdictions, including our own. So all their tribal members, all of our tribal members, and any tribal member that lives within their jurisdiction are ours. So in five jurisdictions, any tribal member that lives within those is served by our USDA program if they qualify. And I mean, that's that to me, that's the most incredible thing we do with our gaming dollars. Um, we service our travel. We have tribal programs that are funded 100% by gaming dollars. We do a per cap, which I'm sure the governor has no idea that we do and which we send, uh, I mean, we send a check every year to every single one of our tribal members from these dollars. That's, that's 65% of our, tri- of our gaming earnings. 35% of that goes into programs and donations and, um, into the community the rest of it so that goes back to our tribal members pocket for them to be able to use within whatever community they live in that could be new york city or that could be shawnee oklahoma oklahoma city so they're spending those probably at entities within their grocery stores and gas stations and paying taxes this is all going back to the state of oklahoma and really this should be something that the governor appreciates uh, or any good strong reagan republican would appreciate i mean they know better what to do with their money than, than the government knows what to do with their money. That's why we have low taxes here. That's what we say we believe as Republicans. And I am a Republican. And you served in the House served as in, a Republican. In two terms in the House as a Republican. And so we, uh, we, do, we understand and we believe um, that our tribal members know better what to do with their money than we do. That's truth. That's why we have a per cap. Um, and then with the money that we retain, we, we directly put that back into our programming and into our jurisdiction. And our, honestly, we do stuff outside of our jurisdiction as well with those dollars. It just depends on how many people we think it impacts. We're very, I mean, we put a lot of effort and thought into 
where we put those dollars. Can I get to your uh, op-ed in the Tulsa World, which raised some eyebrows? Yeah. In just a second. First, I want to say before we talk to Chief Wood about his op-ed that support for this podcast is provided by Aerosurf Communications, providing reliable broadband internet to rural central Oklahoma. That's country folks like me and Candace. Aerosurf service plans stand on their own. No contracts, no hidden fees or price hikes. And hold on to your hats, unlimited data to help you do what you want, when you want. We could not do Mitchell Talks podcast in eastern Oklahoma County if we didn't have Aerosurf. And we're so very appreciative of their support. This is a company you should be doing business with. Aerosurf Communications. Learn more about serviceability and their rates. And they got some great rate plans for whatever service you need from residential to commercial. Go to aerosurf.com slash plans. That's aerosurf.com slash plans. It's aerosurf. They are a great company. Aerosurf.com. That's A-I-R-O-S-U-R-F dot com. Aerosurf Communications. So speaking of rural, I mean, I suppose your tribe members mostly in the rural areas. Yes, sir. So speaking of the Tulsa world, I look up, but there's an op-ed last week with my friend Chief Wood on it, and it was um, uh, it was to the point. What well, what did you want people reading your op-ed to take away from what you were saying about this particular controversy? Sure, and I think that it's important to understand that I've made it known to the governor himself, to other tribal leaders, to my people. To uh, now to anyone that reads the Tulsa World, that this governor has an opportunity to reset this relationship. And uh, I wanted him to know that. I wanted uh, him to have the opportunity to do that. I wanted um, I wanted tribal leaders also to see that, you know, if this governor wants to take the chance to to you know say I'm wrong and and um, I apologize for the way I did this, and I want to have a relationship with with tribes for at least the next three years. That he could do that, and he could do that still. Even he didn't take the opportunity at the state of the state, which was my point in the in the op ed, was to say that he could he could use this opportunity for the state of the state and and uh, reset the relationship. And I use an example of Reagan. You started off talking about Ronald Reagan, right? Because I mean, I talked about it a little bit before too. I mean, Reagan believed in lower taxes and and giving people the opportunities who succeed uh, to do more with their money, and and if if, if you follow tribes in this state, if you live in a community in which a, a tribe resides that has jurisdiction, you know the benefit of that tribe being there. And unless you're biased in some sort of way, you're going to see mostly positives from that. I think there's only positives from that. I mean, if you want to, if you want to take a, a stance on not appreciating gaming, I, I can agree with you. Um, I can agree to understand that. And that if this was his issue, then I don't think we'd even have a conversation. But obviously, it's not because he's talking about bringing in gaming from the outside. So it's, he's not anti-gaming. He just wants the tribes to pay more and not have a contract that lasts 15 years. So that was my point, was just to, to give him an opportunity to reset the relationship and to let him know we're willing to listen if he would do that. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if he will do it, but 
I've offered, I've emailed his staff and said, if he'd like to sit down and visit with me, Republican to Republican, uh, to talk about tribal sovereignty and the relationships between tribes and their communities, that I'm willing to do it. I invited him to Stroud. He wasn't able to make it on, those, on the date I provided. He was in D.C. Uh, um, I think he was, oh, he was testifying about some EPA stuff in D.C. that day, so he wasn't able to make it over. But uh, I still am open to that conversation to have with him. Um, I think that one day he'll look back and he'll wish he did it differently if he doesn't today. I know I would. I have to say I'm wrong a lot, and I'm always willing to do it. Uh, when I'm when I'm wrong, I'm willing to say I'm wrong and because and relationships are worth more to me than anything else. And that's why I went up to him at the speaker's ball and shook his hand. I told him I appreciated his him as a person. Look forward to visiting with him in the future. Um, was the op-ed up before Speaker's Ball? It was after. It was after. So you're a pretty mild-mannered guy. A guy you've always been known as that. But you, you really do go to make some real straight points here. Here's one of them. Stitt's actions to date suggest he doesn't recognize our inherent sovereignty. He would rather divide us where tribes prefer working together. Yeah. So this is, again, I, I go back to my point, which was it's a little more than just a standard business deal. There's some pretty raw feelings here. I think if you talk to Governor Henry or I started with um, his predecessor, Governor Keating, these compacts started there. Those These conversations started there. They've shown up in the United for Oklahoma commercials. Right. And, and they're both very supportive of tribes and supportive of the compact auto renewing. Governor Fallon's been silent on it. And she had an interesting relationship with tribes. I absolutely loved um, my time getting to know Governor Fallon. And uh, say what you want to about her. I think history is going to look at her differently than people look at her today. I think give it a few years, especially going through the next four to eight years, 12 years. I mean, I think people are going to understand that she was a, she was a pretty good governor. History will look kindly upon her. Um, governor Henry. I, I really like, I got to spend some time with him last Saturday. He's, uh, I love governor Henry um, and governor Keating. I, I don't think I've ever had time, an opportunity to visit with him. Um, again, I was in grade school when he was governor, but um, I really do appreciate what both of those two gentlemen did and then and then governor fallon was able to do um, just honoring that tribal sovereignty and recognizing it and honestly i thought governor stitt was going to do it i mean i really did that's why i spent so much time talking to tribal people indian people my relatives and and friends and saying i think i think he's gonna do some great things and uh, one of my one of my favorite people on the planet I mean, really worked hard to get Governor Sid elected, and he's, I mean, I don't know anyone that believes, more, I'll leave him unnamed, but I don't know anyone that believes in sovereignty more than this individual does, tribal sovereignty. And So, uh, yeah, it's disappointing is what it is, and I think that probably came through. I hope that came through in my op-ed, which is I'm disappointed as a Republican in, in his actions. Um, but on a personal level, um, he has an opportunity. He still does. I will, I mean, I've got no ill will towards him. He's made me really frustrated and really angry some days, but I've got zero ill will towards him. I wish him in the, in the state of Oklahoma, which is my home. I love, I serve the state of Oklahoma in the legislature and, and uh, 
worked in many nonprofits here in the state. I'm on many boards here in the state. I care about our public libraries and our schools and our roads and our bridges and our people and whether they're Indian or not Indian. And I think that he could do the state of Oklahoma and its population, all 4 million citizens. I think he could do them a solid. I mean, I think he could do them a real good thing, a real good deal by coming out and saying, I did this the wrong way. Let's correct it. Quiet leader in the state of Oklahoma is a guy by the name of Charles McCall from Atoka, Oklahoma, the Speaker of the House. And he recently, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but nonetheless, it was reported in the press that he said, I believe that these compacts auto-renew. That's not helpful to the contentions of the executive branch, right? Your thoughts about what what that brought to the table when Speaker McCall, McCall said that? Sure. I think that, listen, people in Oklahoma, unless they pay attention to politics, the Speaker is just a name. I mean, you've got to know Charles McCall. I was elected with him in 2012, and he measures every word. He does. He measures every word before he says it. He uh, That's training, right? I, I think he's just a good man. Yeah. Plus, he's a yeah. banker, yeah. and that bankers are not known as... I think he thinks things through. Wild and crazy. Right. right. And I uh, and I really grew to respect him and and uh, as, a, as, a, as a man and as a legislator and now as a speaker of the Oklahoma House of Representatives and... He's from rural Oklahoma. He's in the middle of Choctaw territory or jurisdiction uh, there in Atoka. And, and he knows firsthand what tribes do in the state. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that compact. And after reading the compact, and he's no stranger to reading contracts, he sees that it auto-renews. You'd be hard-pressed to find two people in the state, I think, that will look at that compact and say it doesn't auto-renew if they know all the information. Now, it's all opinion whether or not we pay enough money in in exclusivity fees. I mean, that's I mean, we can all have a discussion about that, and that's probably where we are willing to come to the table. I mean, we've never once said no, we're not going to raise our we're not going to accept new fees, but you have to bring something to the table. So, Speaker McCall visited Stroud our, our jurisdiction the week before he came out with that. I mean, I don't think that had anything to do with him coming out and saying that he believed the compacts ought to renewed because he believed that before he came to Stroud, before he came to our headquarters and, and toured our juvenile detention center and our food distribution program and saw where we uh, do the majority of our programs. Um, he already believed that because he'd already read the contract and read the compact in its entirety. And he understood it and his attorneys looked at it and that's, what he believes because I believe that's factual. Uh, but there's opinion. I mean, I haven't asked him, do you think we pay enough? I mean, I don't think he was asked that question. And I, I wouldn't be upset if he said we didn't. I don't think we should have to pay anything. I think we would still give to the communities and give to education, probably at an even higher rate if we didn't have it. Um, because it, but under, you know, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, the state has that authority to authorize. And also authorize and enter into compacts with exclusivity fees with Indian tribes. And so I think, I mean, if you want to say we pay, don't pay enough, I would argue and say, why do we have to pay it at all? That would be my argument. But um, we're willing to look at those rates, but you have to offer something else in return. That's And that's where we've been this entire time. I'm not sure that the average Oklahoman watches this and realizes the level of discomfort that is happening in the political class 
you know, you want to see some fun stuff when I bring up the topic on my weekend shows and watch John Eccles. Right. Right. He continually says, hey, this is like I'm watching two friends yeah. go at it. It's maybe a strange thing. Kind of behind the scenes, maybe united on some of these things. But is there something we're missing in terms of trying to figure this out? We, uh, so when the tribes are communicating with people, they're also communicate, kind of going uphill on something that's centuries old. Oh, absolutely. Now, we're talking about, well, we understand broken promises. <laughs> I mean, we understand broken treaties. I mean, that's, uh, that's nothing new to the tribes. The federal government broke treaty after treaty after treaty with us. I mean, we were moved, we were given land, land was taken, given land, land was taken. Um, we, uh, it's, it's been an incredible journey and we've survived it, which is what really what we're holding on to is we're going to continue to survive broken promises. Now, this was a handshake agreement, signed compact. This was a, this was a deal with all Oklahomans having an opportunity to vote on it. I mean, this, this compact was voted on by the people of Oklahoma. I mean, and they approved it overwhelmingly. More people voted for that than voted for Governor Stitt. I mean, it was longer, long time ago. I mean, what, I was in middle school. But more people came out and voted in support of this compact for Class 3 gaming in the state of Oklahoma than voted for Governor Stitt. I mean, over 600,000 Oklahomans voted in favor of it. So we... Uh, I mean, we are dealing with, and this was discussed, and you asked the question, so I'm going to answer it fully. Before we purchased Shawnee Trophy, a business in Shawnee, Oklahoma, where there are five tribes, jurisdictions touch in one place, we had to discuss putting our name on this. Is it going to hurt the business? Will we lose business because it's owned by a tribe? We had to have that discussion. It was a real discussion. I think it's part of the fear that's held us back. So, do I think the governor himself? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. No, think, I wouldn't insinuate. Right. Right. That. I don't. I'm I don't think saying, so. Right. Is that something else that enters right. into it? Right. I, I want to be completely crystal clear. Yeah. Not insinuating that there's anything no. race based in this negotiation. No, I don't think I'm just so. wondering about appeal. Yeah. Uh, the folks that are observing us from the outside, if that doesn't enter into their equation uh in their calculations about who the good guys who the bad guys who to take sides with no i think so and olivia and i were at dinner on new year's eve and we have four kids so we're we go to bed early most of the time so we were out past eight which is pretty late for us and uh we uh, uh over her, over my shoulder i'm hearing this this couple gentlemen talking about this so this was the night it was going to auto renew so december 31st and they're talking about and they say this, they said, who do you think is going to win this thing? The governor or those Indians? And it was a, I mean, it was a, a very race-based conversation. It was, it was intriguing. And they were in their probably 70s. And so this was not, I mean, these weren't two young people talking. And I turned around and Olivia couldn't move fast enough to stop me. And I had a conversation with them. It was a very cordial conversation, which I laid out the facts bare. Told them who I was, told them I'd served in the legislature, told them, I'm a chief of a tribe now, and we had a great conversation about it. And <clears throat> after they got all the facts, they agreed that it auto renewed. I mean, I wasn't making anything up. I never have with anybody, and I won't. And I told them, I said, "You may not think we pay enough, and that's your that's your welcome to that opinion." But we're not telling the governor that we're not willing to pay more. What we're saying is, this compact auto renews. Then let's renegotiate. Let's negotiate the rates. We'll get to that after you acknowledge that auto renews 
And for, you know, three hours out of my night, I had that conversation with people in the room because they overheard that conversation. In Oklahoma, where half the state was originally Indian territory, you're going to fall into this. It's going to happen. There are people that are still living that remember their land being taken away. They remember squatters taking some of their land. I mean, people have these memories. Tribal members have these memories. These citizens have these memories of their land being taken. They remember grandma talking about their land being taken in the land run. I mean, it's very personal. Very personal. And so I think it's definitely the vestiges of, of racism and um, heartburn and is there. And yeah, I think that's why United for Oklahoma is important, regardless of this compact discussion, that we get our story out there about what we're doing for this state and that we're, that we drive tourism, uh, that we, that we drive education outcomes. We drive healthcare outcomes. We're working really hard to make Oklahoma top 10 and we've been doing it for longer than governor Stitt has. And we're working hard at it. And I think, that if he will come to the table and have this conversation, I'm I'm still willing today to have it. And I think it's important for people to realize that I haven't talked to a single tribal leader that said that they have anything against him prior to this or after this. They just We would just like to know what is so hard about saying this thing ought to renew so we can negotiate the rate. If you're angry that it's a 15-year compact, you can't do anything about it now. Maybe that's something the state signed and we signed and we're going to move forward with it. And mediation, I think, is going to have more to do with uh, what's offered, the rates and all those types. I think that's what's going to end up coming down in the mediation itself because you're not going to be able to mediate what that compact means and what's said in that compact. I think a judge is still going to rule on that. I don't know how that can be resolved in that meeting unless someone leaves that meeting and says, okay, we agree it auto-renews, or we agree it didn't auto-renew, we better fix this fast. I don't see any of my people that are in that room saying that it doesn't auto-renew because we've all looked at the same document. Well, would you agree then there's the business deal and then there's the stuff on the side that just makes this very complicated and sometimes emotional issue? Yeah, I think it's... What makes it most emotional is that for those of us that are leading our, our tribes, our nations, we send our kid to school, kids to school, our grandkids to school, our spouses go to work, we pay our state taxes, we pay our federal taxes, we are very much a part of the state. And I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find one of us that hasn't been made to feel as if we're not part of what makes Oklahoma great. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find one of us that doesn't feel like this has made us look at ourselves in the mirror and wonder, where did we mess up somewhere to make it, for it to seem to people that we haven't done enough? And... We'll continue to do more. And as, as the Second Fox Nation becomes more diversified economically, you're going to see us do more. I mean, I see a day in which we're, I mean, 15, 20 years down the road, if we get ourselves moving in this right direction, which we're currently moving in, um, to where we're, uh, we're dumping in millions into our communities each year instead of every three years. 
I think that's that's where I'd like to be. Last, I want to cover something that brought up to my youngest one the other night. We were talking about the world's greatest athletes. Right. In Oklahoma, we have the world's fastest athletes, right? Right. Gore we do. racing. We do. So some of my young folks had no idea that Jim Thorpe was not buried in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And we had this conversation recently for for our youngsters that are oh, – and we're seeing a lot of history right now. I'm with a group of kids from Luther the other day. They're actually about to do a podcast and a, and a focus group. They went to the Greenwood District in Tulsa, went through the museum up there. And the reason they're interested right now is not because of the history books, but rather because HBO did that Watchmen series. Right. Right. And then now the Greenwood, uh, the race massacres on people's minds just because entertainment got involved in it. Well, right. that's, that was, uh, the Watchmen's not about that, but it, it, start, it evokes it. So anyway, um, Jim Thorpe was Oklahoman, a member of your tribe. That's right. He's in... Pennsylvania, yeah. and the question is, for people that are trying to look back in history, how did that come to be, and have we heard the last of Jim Thorpe perhaps being reinterred in Oklahoma? So, I think it's important for you to bring this up. His uh, last remaining son passed away a few weeks ago. So, Richard Thorpe passed away a few weeks ago. His uh, Another one of his sons, Bill Thorpe, passed away July of last year, July 4th weekend. And uh, that's actually where I got to speak at a funeral with uh, Governor Nye, which was pretty incredible. He knew Bill Thorpe, Thorpe really well. Uh, we, uh, uh, so we've lost two Oklahoma treasures for sure, two Sackey Fox treasures. I mean, they are I mean, two incredible individuals. I never saw Bill Thorpe not smiling. Um, Richard had a stroke and struggled through the last several months of his life uh, in health, but still had a great attitude. Uh, his daughter, Anita, and then uh, Mary Thorpe, um, his niece, uh, so Bill's granddaughters. I've gotten to know them. I've got to spend some time with them and actually went to the Jim Thorpe Award Ceremony a few nights ago when they honored uh, uh, Mr. Delpit from Louisiana State University. Tried, I think it's Grant Delpit. Tried not to think about the OU game when I got no, to visit with him. It's terrible, isn't it? But, he, but he, was in, he was an incredible young man. His family was incredible. I mean, the Jim Thorpe Award itself is the only major college football position award that includes character as a portion of it. It's but, a great award and a great organization. Right. So, my, so, by the way, I have to say, you were talking about the young man from LSU. Joe Burrow, the quarterback, looks exactly like Joey Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, they could be twins. <laughs> and so, you know, my kid is going around going, people think I'm the LSU quarterback. He's a singer, but. Anyway, that's a great organization. Yeah, but, no. and, and I met both of those gentlemen at events, at Jim Thorpe events, thanks to my friend Ted Bonham, who would invite me to these things. Just tremendous people. Yeah. And so we uh, so we honor Jim Thorpe every single year in Oklahoma. And on the national stage as well, he was recognized as the, for, uh, the as college football's fifth greatest player of all time during the college football playoff. And Mary Thorpe, one of his granddaughters, went there to represent him. Which is pretty incredible. For good, good experience for her. So I don't know, playing with Tim Tebow. I mean, it's it was pretty cool for her, and, and neat for our people um, to be recognized in that way. Um, when people say Jim Thorpe's name, that they usually mention his proud Sacking Fox heritage as well. He was very proud of his heritage, 
his culture, his people. So you mentioned his body being taken from Oklahoma. His uh, his the his wife at the time he passed um, actually had his body taken from a traditional ceremony and taken to Pennsylvania to be buried there. And she basically sold his sold his rights to this town, and they named the town after him, and that's why it's buried there. Um, it was it's a pretty sad ordeal. Uh, especially because our uh, traditionally our people and in, in, in the burial and the uh, the ceremonies are very intimate and important to our people, and so it was a big deal that that happened. And so you know, recently they did go through the process of trying to bring the body back, and it didn't work out. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting. I'd like to get his do- get a hold of his granddaughters and, and talk about it because it's been brought up to me many times by other relatives of his wanting to see his body brought back to Oklahoma. Um, buried in the family cemetery like it was going to be um, there in Stroud. And he grew up in, in Prague, um, ran to school. Uh, there used to be an old school, um, boarding school on our reservation, um, which, by the way, we're the only tribe still with a reservation status. In the, I was about in the to state. ask. Yeah, Sacket Fox Nation uh, reservation is what you'll see on the signs when you enter our jurisdiction. You drive through on the Turner Turnpike. Right. So, no, we. Uh, I'd like to see his body back here. I think that most important, his his family uh, needs to all be on the same page with it if that's ever going to happen. And uh, we haven't had those conversations. My predecessors have gone through the process and, of trying to make that happen. And if we were to do that, I think it's important that it not become a a tourist destination type thing. Um, we uh, we're very careful we when we invoke his name. Our powwow grounds are called the Jim Thorpe. Memorial Park. Um, we're very cautious of how we invoke his name and the fact that he means so much to so many Indian people, not just Sack and Fox people. Um, his father was Potawatomi. Um, so I think that they obviously care a lot about his history as well. But any Indian kid growing up like I did, packed like I was Jim Thorpe, especially because I was Sack and Fox, but. My kids run around acting like they're Jim Jocelyn, one of five K, my oldest a few last year. Um, everybody started calling her the next Jim Thorpe and she was super proud of that. Like it was I mean, it was a. Uh, it's something we can all look at and this, this guy wasn't given a chance. He was running with two different pairs of shoes on that holes in them. I mean, that's not just a made up story, that's a real thing. I mean, he uh No deal with Adidas. Right. Right. Yeah, kids don't realize and grandkids don't realize and sometimes grandparents before there was Bo Jackson right. the Deion Sanders and people like that Dave DeBusher with the New York Knicks there's one for identify how old I am <laughs> the point being he was a multi-sport athlete and that king in those Olympics said you're the greatest athlete in the world and there wasn't no arguing that he did everything well exceedingly well I mean even the sports in which he wasn't world class in he was better than everybody else in the room every time. Golf, whatever it was, he was better than everybody else. He just dedicated himself to it, and we're real, we're very proud of of him and his family and his daughters are fantastic. His granddaughters are fantastic. I've gotten to know two of them very well, and and uh, they're they're proud of their heritage and they do their best to, to represent him and the Sac and Fox Nation to the best of their abilities every day. And and uh, one of them actually serves on one of our. Uh, tribal boards and trying to get the whole family involved and 
It's a, it's a pretty cool deal. And, but now, yeah, Jim Thorpe, I mean, it's just the story for the ages. And of course, there's that movie that, that uh, Angelina Jolie or somebody is producing um, that I haven't, my predecessor had some involvement with it. Um, the director passed away recently, so there, it's kind of slowed down a little bit. But um, I think that movie's going to come out the next year or so, and I think that'll help tell the story some as well. But we, uh, we're excited about that uh, aspect of letting people know who we are and, and what we do. And so I go to those events and, and, and represent our people and, and represent the Thorpe family as their, as their guests. Almost, I mean, the ones I've gone to, they've invited me, and they're really excited about getting the tribe involved with the Jim Thorpe Award going forward. And Mike James with the Sports Hall of Fame, the Jim Thorpe Award. He's, Great guy. He's inc- Great guy. He's incredible. Um, and so working with him to make sure that we're involved and, and have a role in that process. I think that's important for our people and for the Thorpe family that we're always involved in that process. Well, I'm proud to call you my friend. Oh, absolutely. And you're doing a great job over there. I'm hoping this situation gets resolved sooner than later because it, it it does seem to be like an inner family. I don't want to say squabble, but it, it basically is a fuss between, Folks that ordinarily aren't fussing. It's you know? weird. It's weird for me because I served in the legislature, so I have this intimate understanding of the process, the way it should happen, the way it happens, anyways. Sometimes, even though it should happen one way, it happens another way. Um, and uh, this is not a this is not a Republican or Democrat thing. This is very apolitical. I mean, this is not something that most governors would have done this way. Anybody else that was running wouldn't have uh, would not have approached it this way and so that's what makes it so strange they all would have wanted to negotiate every single one of them and i wouldn't have blamed any of them for wanting to renegotiate and get a better deal for the state of oklahoma and we would have been fighting for a better deal for our people and uh that's the way it should happen but within that compact and that's the that and under sovereignty is so important the, the right to, to govern ourselves. And I think that um, once that's understood and that conversation takes place, maybe it happens in mediation. I'm still open to having sitting down with the governor and having that conversation. Then I think we could just move, move on. Um, I think that eventually these rights will be there will be negotiation on the rates eventually, which is fine. No one's upset about that. Um, but uh, understanding whose role is what uh, and understanding this sovereign-to-sovereign sovereign relationship, at some point in time, it's going to have to work itself out. Let's hope that it's a learning experience for Oklahomans who are – let's talk about the ones not at the table. Right. But that we – understand our fellow Oklahoman a little better yeah. from this. It's a real learning experience and right. we understand perspective and we put things in context in the, in the final analysis. We're all, yeah. we merge a better state I think and, we will. and still friends. I so. think, I think, I think that's possible. I think it is very much possible for, uh, for us to have a relationship post the situation. And that's my desire is to have a relationship post the situation, which was the reason for my op-ed. I mean, it's it's so that we can come out of this thing, um, and uh, you know, if you don't mind, I've got I've got one more thing. 
Um, and I talked about my faith, and I talk about and Governor Sitt's been very vocal about his faith. And so, within our faith, uh, we uh, we are called to uh, reproof and rebuke, and to uh, and to guide one another, and and uplift one another, and 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 really, we've gotten to that point where we've had the conversation in private, we've had it in public, and, and now we're going in this room with everybody, and that's a. Uh, and we're having to we're having to work this out in a very public manner, which I don't think any tribal leader wanted. We wanted to do this behind closed doors, um, as far as any argument didn't have to happen in public. And because we're because we're sovereign neighbors and we care about each other, I care about the state of Oklahoma um, as much as I care about every other sovereign nation within the state sovereign nation within a sovereign state within a sovereign nation it's a very delicate balance and relationship and so um i think uh, i think eventually we'll get to that point where um as long as it doesn't get any more personal than it became and there is an opportunity for a lot of damage to happen and i think most people are like what are you talking about hasn't the damage happened already now it can get worse this could get much worse um, but i think that the mediation by the judge was wise. Forcing us into the room together is wise. Um, and I hope that uh, what comes of it is a, a real relationship. Um, it won't ever be the way it could have been. I don't think there's any way for it to be the way it could have been. But he's only the second Native American ever elected to be governor of the state of Oklahoma. And it could have been a, a great thing for, for all 4 million Oklahomans, but there's doesn't mean doesn't mean there's no opportunity for it to be a good relationship. That's what I hope. Chief Justin Wood of the Second Fox Nations. Great to see you as always. It's good to see you. It's a great lapel pin, by the way. Jim Thorpe. Appreciate you, sir. Best of luck in this legislative session and all you're doing for your people of the Sac and Fox Nation. Thank you, sir. You're listening to the new media, the Mitchell Talks Network. Learn more at MitchellTalks.com and follow me, Scott Mitchell, on Twitter at MitchellTalks.